Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning, everybody. Hardline. Little Christmas trap music. I told you. Randy doesn't want it 8 to 10. We're playing it 10 to 12. Unless Brenda objects. I love it. Are All you right. kidding me, Joe? See, no objections here 10 to 12. <laughs> Joe Beamer, Brenda Alacy. It is Hardline. Brenda, good morning. Good morning and good morning to everybody. We're coffeeed up and ready to roll. A lot of uh, good stuff on the show this morning. Now, Brenda, before we go to our first guest, I have to know, I asked this question on the Friday show, 820 game tonight, but you have tomorrow off. I do. So I see have a, a, one of those use them or lose them days. Okay. So not so going to lose it. You don't have to do any planning. See, for me, I have, uh, I'm going to the gym after work. I'm going to a fundraiser and then getting a three-hour nap in before kickoff. Now, can you fall asleep specifically for three hours? Oh, I can. Yeah. A- especially uh, after the gym, I'll be, I'll be fine. <laughs> I can't wait. I mean, I'm sure everybody is counting down the hours if you're a Bills fan. Uh, until the game tonight. I'm so excited that we're on national TV. And Joe, as we discussed last week, I do not want the Bills to embarrass themselves. Right, yes. Uh, I think it's going to be a tough, close game, but I think there's enough going on right now with the Bills' defense playing so stout that they can probably take care of Pittsburgh, especially with this uh, duck quarterback they have. (laughs) They need to take care of business and make him be a quarterback, much like they say about Josh Allen, force him to be a quarterback. If the Bills' defense can really continue to play as strongly and effectively as they have for a good portion of the season, I think we can take it. I think if the Bills' defense plays the way they have been and the offense doesn't make mistakes, here's the problem. Bills have a really good defense. Pittsburgh has a really good defense that can score. Yes. So you don't want the difference to be that pick six or that fumble, fumble in the red recovery. zone. Exactly. I, I do. I'm concerned about how often Josh Allen is fumbling. That worries me. And I really like him, and I really want him to be the guy after all these years, after you know, finally finding a quarterback to replace Jim Kelly as an effective leader and player. Um, he's doing a lot of the right things, even little things off the field, Joe. I don't know if you heard about how he bought Jack Eichel and Ryan O'Reilly and Sam Reinhardt, I believe it was. The three players were out. You know, O'Reilly, of course, uh, with the St. Louis Blues now, but spent a lot of years in Buffalo. They were out having dinner, and uh, Allen happened to be there, and he picked up the tab. Uh, just a lot of cool things that come out. I, I like him a lot as a person, and he's doing and saying a lot of the right things. Now, if he can only move his football IQ up, yeah. um, I think he's going to be fine. And I think you will. I think you will. It's going to be a great game tonight, and win or lose, tomorrow morning should be fun. Brian Mazarowski, 5-9, to nine, myself, 9-12, to 12, and uh, maybe we'll be able to disguise how much sleep we really didn't get. <laughs> <laughs> but You and everybody else in town. That's right. That's right. But if they win, I don't think people will have an issue. If True. they win, that adrenaline will still be, Like I said, if they win, I'm not sure I'm going to sleep tonight. That's clinching the playoffs. And that adrenaline, the first show I ever hosted here on BEN was New Year's Day after the Bills made the playoffs thanks to Andy Dalton beating the Baltimore Ravens. Barely had any sleep. 
you listen back. I sound pretty awake, so I think uh, you'll hear that again tomorrow. It's amazing what adrenaline can do for us, Joe. Exactly. And did you see Jeff Glor uh, gave a shout-out to the Bills Mafia today on the CBS Morning Show? I did not have to find that on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, definitely. So Jeff Glor has become like the Tim Russert, um, you know, such a Buffalo supporter, a nationally known broadcaster who continues to tout his love for his native city. So really nice to see Jeff Glor always putting Buffalo out there in a positive light. You love to see it. Now... To business in this first segment, we are talking to Siobhan O'Connor. There have been a lot of uh, developments, not only in the Buffalo Diocese, but uh, New York statewide. We had a press conference in Manhattan. We've had some developments about uh, the way money was used in the Vatican. So, without further ado, Siobhan O'Connor. Siobhan, good morning. Good morning, Joe and Brenda. It's great to be with you this morning. Pleasure to have you on, Siobhan. Glad you took the time to join us. Absolutely. Now, Siobhan, first off, um, I know this is a few weeks old, but just tell us how you feel so far in this turn of the Buffalo Diocese. You have the temporary bishop. You now have the media relations, I think she was, uh, stepping down. So you really do have new people moving into the diocese. How do you feel about that transition where we stand right now? Well, you know, I'm I'm feeling pretty good about it. I'm trying to stay optimistic. I know some people are kind of cynical about everything with the diocese now, and I understand that, but I'm trying to see this as a positive step forward. Certainly Bishop Malone's time uh, was long overdue, you know, for him to be uh, stepping down. And, and then in terms of the change uh, with regards to the communications department, I think that's a, a positive thing because Kathy Spangler had become so associated with Bishop Malone and his approach and his tactics uh, that it was really it was really time to say farewell to both of them. And, uh, you know, I realized that Bishop Scharfenberger is essentially a placeholder right now, um, but he does seem to have a, a much more positive approach, especially with the media. And to me, that's a, a really good sign. Siobhan, did you hear uh, Bishop Malone's comments to Channel 4 earlier this week? I did, yes. What were your feelings on uh, what he said and him saying that he was a bishop in good standing? Well, to me, that really shows that he, he either lacks self-awareness or he really doesn't have a good sense of, of um, people's perception of him, because I would say that now it's got to be close to 90% of Buffalo Catholics don't feel that he's a bishop in good standing, at least here in our diocese. Now, maybe in, in the USCCB, the United States Conference of Bishops, maybe in the global church, um, maybe he would feel that way. But here in this diocese, for him to say that, was, was really despairing because it was so tone-deaf and, and really upset a lot of people, especially survivors. Did that strike you as denial uh, on his part, Shaban, and sort of reflective of the entire way he handled this process? Absolutely. It felt like, gosh, even now, as his chapter comes to an end, he can't even move on graciously. You know, he had that three-page self-defense manifesto that he published the day of his resignation, and he and his team kept calling it an early retirement. And it was those same evasive, euphemistic tactics that we've seen him use all along. And I just thought, gosh, you know, if he could have just bowed out gracefully, that would have meant a lot to people. But he couldn't even do that. You know, Shaman, I, I read about your background, and uh, you've been uh, an advocate for a long time about getting the word out and and really trying to help people who have been abused by certain members of the clergy. And you said you were quoted as saying that uh, the job went from a dream job to a nightmare in about three years. Do you wake up every morning and still think about this? Will it always be with you? I, I can't imagine how difficult it must be to sort of separate yourself from this whole process. 
Well, that's a very thoughtful question, Brenda. Thank you for that. It is difficult because this was a dream job for sure, and it's also my faith. So even though I stepped away from the job itself, I haven't left the faith. Um, so places that I go regularly for, for Mass, um, or now in the Christmas season there's more events than Advent, and everywhere I go people want to talk about it or people want an update or people want to maybe be critical, whatever the case may be. So it is very hard for me to just kind of turn that off. I really can't. And with regards to my faith, I don't want to because I do want to stay engaged and active. I do believe in this diocese, especially the people of the diocese. The leadership, obviously, I have some problems with, but the people of this diocese are worth fighting for. What do you think uh, keeps you engaged, Siobhan? I'm curious about that because you you have always talked about being a devout Catholic and wanting to come back here. Uh, What is it about the faith that still keeps you believing that it's a good thing versus something that um, isn't tainted entirely by what happened with priests, not only locally, but in many, many, many other instances around the country? Sure. Well, really, my main reason is the, the reason for the season, as they say, it's Jesus Christ and his teachings. And I do truly believe in him with all my soul, and I, I love him with all my heart. And it's through that lens that I see this church that, you know, in God's wisdom, he, he left this church in human hands. And we all have free will, and unfortunately that means that evil is a part of our world. But I do believe that the good is always greater. Um, that certainly was seen in Christ's life. Um, excuse me. And uh, I think that um, we see it in our own lives here, that even though the diocese has been kind of a dumpster fire over the last almost two years, there's been a lot of good going on, too, um, with regards to the, the good works of the people of this diocese and the ministries they do and the um, charitable acts they do. So I see... I try to see it always through that lens that that the good is always greater than the evil. We can't ignore the evil, and we have to hold people accountable for it, especially when it's crime. Um, But I I try to also balance that with the optimistic sense that that the people here are, are so good that Um, there's always more good than evil. Obviously, there are a lot of people, many of whom were high profile or are high profile, who um, served on the movement to restore trust. Shabana, are you in touch with those folks at all? What's your connection with them, if any? Really, there's been none. Um, Last year, they didn't want me to be involved last fall because they said I was too controversial at the time. That was after 60 Minutes and and all of that. Um, And I remember thinking, gosh, you know, if they think I'm too controversial, then I don't know if I would want to be involved. Um, and I was also a little bit skeptical of, of the leadership group there. There were some names I knew as being pretty close friends and allies of Bishop Malone, and I just wondered how how they would be doing as independent uh, leaders now when they had been previously allies and supporters of the bishop. And then all along I kind of felt that they were either allowing themselves to be manipulated a bit by Bishop Malone um, or maybe not even aware that they were. Uh, but I felt that he was using them as yet another lay group that he could throw under the bus. So that diocesan review board, his diocesan pastoral council, he's got lots of lay groups that he likes to really laud and, and celebrate and then turn to them and say, oh, well, they advised me this and they did this. And I felt like the MRT was becoming a similar group that he could kind of rely on for support. And then if he had to uh, turn to them and, and, and focus on them if he was under scrutiny. So I was glad they finally called for his resignation. I thought that was long overdue for their own sake. What are your uh, initial uh, thoughts on the temporary bishop, whose last name I always screw up? Uh, Scharfenberger. Yes. <laughs> what are your thoughts on him, and what do you see him doing in his short time as the transition is in full motion? Well, I think he's going to be unfortunately known by another word that I don't like to pronounce, which is bankruptcy. 
I think he's the one that's going to be given the task of announcing bankruptcy. I would expect it to happen this week, actually. I don't think they're going to want to do that Christmas week. And they have promised it would happen before the end of the year. And I think they most likely will want to do that because the Catholic Charities Appeal begins pretty soon in the new year. And they're going to want to have time to separate bankruptcy from the Charities Appeal. That would just make sense tactically. So I would assume that that's Bishop Ed's primary role here, really, is to announce bankruptcy, get that rolling, and then basically just hold a place for our permanent bishop. Um, bishop Scharfenberger has full-time responsibilities in Albany. And then with the weather during the winter, who knows if he'll even be able to get here even once a week. Um, and then with Christmas and everything and New Year's, I don't see him really being able to do that much. And I don't know that they expect much of him other than what I can only imagine will be a, a very imminent bankruptcy announcement. Shabbat, I'm sure you follow everything that happens uh, with this whole scandal and the resulting fallout. What was your thought on Bishop DiMarzio's report? Well, I mean, it seems to have generated some action in Rome, so for that I'm grateful. Um, I do believe that we, the people of the diocese, deserve to see that report, um, just like people are clamoring for the report on former Cardinal McCarrick. I think at least the people of Buffalo need and deserve to see that, what was told to the Vatican about our diocese. Um, but whatever its contents, it seems that it was at least concerning enough, if not damning enough, for the Vatican to begin talking to Bishop Malone. We don't, we're still a little unclear about the sequence there, but um, certainly when Bishop Malone was over there in Rome, it doesn't seem as though everything was quite as, as rose-colored as he tried to present it, um, because clearly the Vatican, uh, maybe not the Pope, but at least the appropriate uh, Vatican entity saw that report and I, I, I actually have some hope that it was more complete than I had thought in the moment. So that's, that's a positive, and I just hope someday it will be released because we really deserve to see it. Siobhan, do you, would you push for uh, an outside firm coming in and conducting their own investigation? I agree with you that this investigation that they conducted, obviously, I think should be released to the public. But would you want another one from a from a group of people that aren't associated with the Catholic Church? Absolutely. I think that would be huge, because we know that Bishop DiMarzio was in, uh, interviewing people, most of them at the recommendation of our existing diocesan leadership, which made the whole thing seem a little suspect. Um, and so I would think that we would definitely would need a group that you know maybe doesn't even have any Catholics on it, people who are not familiar with all of the hierarchical terms and all of, you know who won't be impressed by by those things, um, who are just going to come in and say, wait, what's really been going on here, and give a very objective assessment. I would absolutely call for that. All right. Now, Siobhan, you were part of a press conference in Manhattan, I believe, a week ago. Uh, Tell us what that was about and if there's any update on that situation. Well, that pertains to the case against former Cardinal McCarrick and the fact that he um, was abusing young men and seminarians pretty much all along. Um, And this is the first time that we are aware that a case of abuse had actually been reported to the Vatican, and in this case to a sitting pope. Um, And uh, this is obviously very historic and and for me very shocking as a Catholic to think that a pope or anyone in the Vatican would have been told of the abuse that James Grine had been suffering under McCarrick. Um, So the case that was brought forward last week was not a case with James, it was with another victim um, who, who would have been spared abuse if the Vatican had taken action when James made his abuse known. Um, So it was very, uh, very historic. And um, I really do believe that this is a top-down problem, because if the Vatican has had 
issues like that, then no wonder something in Buffalo didn't seem like a big deal to them because they've had some really serious issues to handle themselves. And we have to clean this up from the top of the house all the way down. What about the uh, abuse uh, victims here in Western New York? Uh, Shaban, you've been quoted as calling them victim survivors, part of the family, and that they're part of the healing mission. Are you in touch with any of those folks who have uh, come forward and spoken so bravely about what happened to them? I am, and I consider it a great privilege and joy to call them now not just victim survivors but friends. I'm able to communicate with many of them regularly. Um, I do that as part of my job now with the Zero Abuse Project as a victim assistant civil specialist. But also beyond that professional role, I consider them friends. Um, I've I've gone to uh, one of them is in a, a Beatles band. I went to one of his concerts last weekend. So it's great to get to know them um, beyond that survivor role. Obviously, their their experiences and their abuse are, are a big part of why we know each other. But we want to expand past them and get to know each other as people. And that has been something that's really restored my soul this last year. Have others come out and said, you know, they too were victims and they just publicly do not want to disclose that? Definitely. A lot of times people are waiting to know that there's someone else, that they're not alone. Um, And sadly, especially within the church, so many of these priests abuse multiple uh, children, that there are uh, many victims of the same priest. Um, and now, fortunately, with the Child Victims Act that came out and, and made, was made into law in August, uh, survivors are able to put forward a claim anonymously, and they will be assigned a DOE number. Uh, so they really don't have any obligation to make their name known. They can just come forward anonymously, but they can still receive that closure that others will receive uh, through pursuing a lawsuit. Now, Siobhan, I have a question to uh, for you. As a Catholic, there was a uh, story that came out a few days ago that only 10% of the Vatican's charity funds are actually going to the charities they say they're going to. What do you think of that number? I was really shocked when I heard 90% of that was going to Vatican expenses and the Pope's expenses. Yeah, I have to say that, you know, I, I, I knew that it most likely was not all going to charity, but to see that it was only 10% made me almost physically ill, thinking about how many people have given sacrificially when it's the Peter's Pence collection at Mass, uh, it really is just revolting that, that that's occurring at the highest level of our church. Um, and, and to me, it just it reinforced what I've been telling people on a local level, which is don't give unless you know exactly where it's going or unless you've restricted that check. So there's no way they can mess around with it. Because we now know that it's not just on the local level that they've been messing around with the money but all the way up to the Vatican. And again, knowing that people give out of their sacrifice, it just it breaks my heart to think they've been abusing people financially like that. Siobhan, I'm Catholic, and uh, there's obviously a very large Catholic population in western New York. And I'm curious, you know, I've talked to people about this, and I think there's somewhat of a chilling effect about people who are going to Mass. I, and frankly, I think twice about it a little bit, too. How often do you hear that from folks um, when you go to Mass and talk to other people who are either in your parish or other parishes? Has there been a chilling effect? Oh, absolutely. And I, I certainly applaud your efforts to continue with the faith, Brenda, because it is very, very difficult. And I always try to remind myself that I was never going to Mass for Bishop Malone or for the Pope or for anybody else. I was going for Jesus and for my own faith, which I consider still to be so precious. But I think we all have a a sorrow now in our hearts, and it is chilling, especially now as we enter into the Christmas season soon, which is supposed to be this time of unbridled joy. And yet I think a lot of people are struggling to find that joy, at least in, in this religious sense, 
because we've we've experienced the sorrow of survivors, we've experienced our own misgivings uh, with the financial matters and the, the mismanagement within the diocese. Um, so it's a time of, of confusion and distress for people, and that's the last thing that Jesus would want for his people at Christmas. Uh, so it really shows how far the leaders of our church have strayed from, from Christ's true purpose for this church. Um, but I think we have to have hope that, that we, the people now, can hold them accountable, and um, I think that we can overcome this. But I think there's going to be some, some times of continued sorrow and, and frustration, unfortunately. Do you um, do you ever feel like you're t- you'll take this to the next step, Shabon, in the sense that perhaps, as one of our texters asks, you might talk to uh, Governor Cuomo and Kathy Hochul about what they call abuse and talk about pro-life. Uh, have you ever thought about perhaps taking a politically active role now that you've become, you know, a very strong advocate for what happened with uh, uh, the Bishop Malone scandal? Well, you know, I, I've honestly never, I've never considered it. Um, I do certainly uh, love the, the community engagement and the community advocacy role that I've kind of stepped into. Um, politics itself, I must say, um, I, I would be a little apprehensive about that. Um, but in terms of helping our community and advocating for people in need, I'm absolutely committed to that. So if somehow that were to to manifest itself somehow, um, I'd be open to whatever God's will is and um, again, as long as it was people-oriented and helping people, um, that would be very important to me if that was something that, that was viable. So I um, hadn't considered it, but it would be, well, I would be open to it. Siobhan, to wrap up here, you know, I, I, as people who listen to this station know, I know you, I know your family. You guys have given time, money, pretty much a lot of your lives to the Catholic Church. And I know you came out to do all this uh, for the better of the Church, to get the bad out of the Catholic Church, so the Catholic Church can stand for what it's supposed to stand for. What do you say, and let me tell you, because I know you so well, it it ticks me off when I hear it. I'd like to know your opinion when people question your faith and question your commitment to the Catholic Church because of what you've done uh, with the diocese. Well, thank you, Joe. I appreciate that, and we're certainly grateful to have known you so long as well, and it's so awesome to be talking to you on the radio, so congratulations on all you've done in your career. Thank you. you know, when people when people criticize me, and a lot of people say, you know, I attack the Church, that I have done harm to the Church, um, they, they will question my motives, if I had any kind of ulterior designs here, and I always just tell people that, you know, it would have been, if I didn't love the Church, I would have just walked away and said, well, pff, that's a dumpster fire, I'm glad I'm out of there. But I, but I love my faith, and I love our church, and certainly our diocese, and I thought, I can't just walk away and let this burn itself to the ground here. I want to be part of a positive change, and I really felt that informing the public and validating survivors was that first step, because if we don't even know what we're dealing with, how can we effectively handle it? You know, if you don't know the disease you have, how do you treat it? And that's why I felt bringing the truth forward was so important. And I've stayed in this battle you know, I didn't just release the documents and get out of here. I've stayed in this with the protesting and the activism because, again, this does matter so much to me. I have a little uh, four-month-old nephew, and I adore that little guy, and I want him to grow up being proud to be Catholic as I was as a kid. I, I don't want him to be embarrassed. I want him to be happy and joyful. So for the next generation of Catholics and for all of us of any age, I want us to be able to put aside this shame eventually and say, you know what, that was terrible. And, and, and evil, and we'll always have a scar, but we've moved past that now. We've done the right thing. We've stood for survivors. We've helped them bring closure in their lives and as much healing as possible. 
and healing to our church, which which has suffered greatly. So I, I, I understand that people might initially have thought I was attacking the church, but I would hope that my actions and words since then have shown them that that's absolutely the farthest thing from the truth. Siobhan, we have a few more questions. I know I said 1030. Can we hold you till 1045? That would be fine. Thank you. Awesome. All right, Siobhan, we're going to put you on hold, go to a quick news break. Siobhan O'Connor joins us for one more segment after we get up. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Up to date. Welcome back. Hardline, News Radio 930, WBEN, Joe Beamer, Brenda Alacy, and Siobhan O'Connor joining us for one more segment. You know, Siobhan, this uh, time of year is just so fraught with, with so many emotions for people, including those of us who struggle with the church, like me. I'm not ashamed to say it. Um, but I, I've got to ask you, too. Somebody on our Volkswagen of Orchard Park tech sport posed a very interesting question. They'd like to know if you think the abuser, uh, abusers themselves should pay for most of the compensation. Uh, because according to this texture, no priest ordained in the last 30 years has uh, abused What's your view on that? Does this make you feel even more confused about what's happening? Well, one thing that really creates such a struggle in my mind is the fact that the church, or rather the diocese, is almost certainly going to be filing bankruptcy, and yet they've been paying the pension and health insurance and other benefits for so many of these abusive priests for decades now. And so I think, you know, gosh, there's so much money, at least probably $10 million that I've been able to figure out within the last, 10 or 12 years that's been given to these priests who should have been in a jail cell, and instead they've been in their cabin or their condo, um, living a life without any repercussions uh, and without being on any registry. So it is very difficult to think that this diocese now is is going to be suffering, uh, you know, because of obviously their crimes, but then the way they were handled and that they were still being paid. I mean, it's hard enough to know that they were being uh, prevented from having any kind of um, justice brought upon them, but then to be paying them at the same time, um, it, it's really hard to take that in and, and to realize how long that's been going up on. 
uh, another good question comes from Frank in Williamsville on the text board. Are you concerned that you have become the unofficial spokesperson for the opposition? Do you feel like you should back away now that Bishop Malone has resigned? Well, that's a great question, Frank. And, you know, one thing that's been difficult for me is that I've I've never really wanted to be an adversary of, of Bishop Malone or the diocese. I mean, when this all started, I was really hoping that Bishop Malone would respond in a, in a more positive way. And I was so dismayed when he continued this, this um, approach that he had had. Um, so I, I, I'm still a member of the diocese. I still go to Mass. I want to be a lifelong member. Um, so I don't see myself as, as oppositional, especially now. Um, I have pretty much um, stepped down from, from actively protesting because I realize that Bishop Ed is probably still coming to understand just what he's dealing with here. Uh, I also have Advent season. We're going into Christmas. Uh, I don't want to be dragging people out to protest in this weather and at this time. So I really consider myself, uh, you know, someone who's an advocate, but not an adversary. And um, I, I want to be optimistic as we move forward, but I also want to remain vigilant because, unfortunately, I know from the inside that all may not be as we see it now from the outside. And I want to make sure that we stay vigilant and informed as we move forward. Unfortunately, this phenomenon of abuse is not uh, specific just to the United States or certainly the Buffalo area. Have you been in touch with people in Europe or other parts of the world who may be facing similar situations? I have, yes. Um, Definitely in Europe and even in South America, I'm discovering that they actually sometimes envy us, not really envy, but that they, they say, well, you know, in the United States, there's a Me Too movement. People are talking about this more freely. It's still certainly a great challenge for a survivor to talk about this, but at least there's more of a, a platform now. Um, but in other countries and other continents, certainly, uh, th- that has not occurred. So these discussions are even harder, and they're up against uh, a, an even greater climb to get to the truth not just within the church, but within any institution. Uh, as we know, this, this abuse occurs across the board here, regardless of, of um, faith or, or purpose for an institution. Um, so I, I do believe that this is a very widespread problem, and that as much as we're kind of experiencing kind of the, the second wave of a scandal in our country, some countries, they haven't even started to break the surface yet. Siobhan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been a pleasure, and also thank you for staying the extra segment. Oh, it was a real pleasure to speak with both of you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your Sunday, and go Bills, and Merry Christmas. Yes, Merry Thanks Christmas, Siobhan. Much, Siobhan. We'll talk soon. Siobhan O'Connor joining us here on Hardline. When we come back, we will take your calls, your comments from the text board. The, tech, the Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board is lit up. I think Brenda and I might go through a few of those texts when we come back. It is Hardline. Don't forget, 10 o'clock. I'm sorry, 11 o'clock. 10 for you listening in the central time zone. There you go. <laughs> Dave Leventhal, a Buffalo native, will join us, and we will talk impeachment. But we will also talk about a certain congressman who is thinking about jumping parties, which I find amazing in 2019, as divided as this country is, that there is a member of Congress who it looks to be so fed up with impeachment is actually considering switching parties to Republican. We will talk to Dave about that because uh, looking at it from the way politics is, looking at you know how this impeachment has divided everyone in Washington to see one, one person actually want to change that deed to an R next to his name, it... Uh, it interests me, and I'd like to, uh, to talk about it. 
You know, uh, Joe, that and there's so many things happening, too. I want to pick Dave's brain about the upcoming uh, Democrat debate in L.A., where there's only six people now uh, who are expected to be participating. And I think he might mention the bills if... uh, what do you think? A long shot? He might bring up the Bills Steelers game tonight? Well, uh, Brenda, I have to say, I've peeked at his Twitter account. I think he'll okay. be talking about the Bills. I think we're actually the only time today he won't be talking about <laughs> the Bills, right. if I know Dave. All right. So if you want to talk about what Siobhan just talked about, 803-0930, we'll take those calls the last few minutes of this hour. And then it is impeachment. It is party hopping. It is debate upcoming. It's primaries right around the corner. A lot of stuff to talk about with Dave Leventhal starting at 11. Hardline, back after this. Hey, it's Brenda Olacy. I'm delighted to tell you about an exciting new space opening in downtown Buffalo this spring. Hansa, managed by my friends at Uniland. Hansa is the next generation of office space. Hansa is spelled H-A-N-S-A, and it'll feature traditional co-working areas, but also private offices, team rooms, suites, and meeting rooms, all housed in a single location, 505 Ellicott Street in downtown Buffalo. Hansa's on-demand, flexible workspace can accommodate virtually any business, from single seats to suites for up to 20 people. At Hansa, the turnkey space is fully furnished. The utilities are included and the coffee is always brewing. If you'd like to learn more about Hansa, visit HansaWorkspace.com. That's H-A-N-S-A Workspace.com. Hansa is the latest in office space by the Uniland Development Company, Western New York's office space experts. If you dream of sophisticated office space with extensive amenities and a supportive culture, visit HansaWorkspace.com today. And we are back here on Hardline, News Radio 930 WBEN. About 10 minutes till you're up to date with news and everything going on. Then we'll welcome in Dave Leventhal. Now, let me tell you, a lot of you like to light up the Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board. And some person called me. I don't think they knew they were talking to me, but uh, message received, just so you know. There is a text on here that I would like to uh, address. And the texter says on the Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board, statistically, the percent of abuse by Catholic priests is less than just about every other sector in life. What do you think of why? I'm sorry, that's poorly written. Why do you think the media and government make it sound like it's the only place abuse happens? Well, I disagree. I don't think the media makes it sound like it's the only place where abuse happens. However, you're not wrong. I mean, unfortunately, there are... Um, how do I put this? Creeps, uh, disgusting people everywhere, right? I mean, in every profession, y- y- you've, you've got bad people. I think the one place people don't expect it to be is in church, is a place people go to find comfort, a, a place people go to feel closer to God, a place where they can pray and feel safe. I think that's the one place they were hoping that I think we were all hoping there were good people. Well, and of yes, course, the- Joe, it's sacred, right? right? There's a there's a higher standard there. And for it to happen there makes it all the more galling and wrong. And, and, for the, and, and again, for the most part, I say this every time, most priests are great guys. They are great people who care about spreading the message of the Catholic Church, who are there for comfort, who are there when people need them. Unfortunately, there were some bad ones. And there might still be some bad ones out there. And I think drawing attention to it 
making the problem, like, like Siobhan said, it's making, it's getting rid of the problem so the Catholic Church can be what it's supposed to be. I say this every time I do one of these shows. The Catholic Church is supposed to be a place where the community can depend on. The community can depend on a place to go to, again, to feel uh, close to God, so they can feel comfortable talking to a priest when life's just not going their way. And right now, as Brenda said, as Siobhan said, a lot of people are struggling to get back to church. They want to trust the church again. You know what the sad thing is, Joe? When I go to Mass, I'm Catholic, as I mentioned, when Siobhan was on with us. And I've been blessed to, and no pun intended, blessed to be able to visit the Vatican uh, three or four times, been to Rome a few times. And it's so magnificent and awe-inspiring when you walk in and see the Vatican and you'll see the bishops walking around with their red beanies and nuns and people of every ethnicity who are part of the church. They've given their life to the church, whether it's a nun or a bishop or a priest. And we've talked to some of them, you know, people perhaps who are studying at the Vatican. They go there from all over the world and to walk through the Sistine Chapel and see how magnificent it is. And it makes me proud to be a Catholic. And yet, at the same time, I want to ask ask these priests and others who are there studying or living in Rome, how do you feel about what's happening with this sexual abuse? Does it taint what you do? And well, we have asked uh, a few people that. And they always say, you know, nobody's happy to have that happen, but they still feel very committed to God and the Catholic Church. But for me, it gives me pause every time I see somebody over there. I wonder... Did you abuse anybody? Isn't that terrible to have to feel that way? Did you abuse anybody? Did you know of anybody abusing a child or um, a woman or anybody else for that matter, a grown man? It's very, very disturbing, and it it taints my view of the church. And I think for me, I can only speak for myself, that's the ta- the takeaway from this, Joe. It's very, very hard to separate the two at this point. Yeah, and for, like I said, I got a call that did not want to go on the air. But again, I don't think she was talking. She knew she was talking to me. But to say that I'm anti-Catholic, that I'm that I and the station are pushing an anti-Catholic message, that's that's wrong. I think most people want to get the truth, and most people want to be able to trust the diocese again. They want to be able to trust going to church again. And let's face it. I mean, Western New York, there are seven hundred thousand Catholics. A better Catholic church is better even for the non-Catholics. Of course, of course. No, I I totally agree, Joe. So uh, will we be able to get past this? Um, I think eventually everybody will get past it to some degree, but I think it's always there. So it's difficult to kind of wrap my head around all of that when you know that uh, things will continue to be talked about. The bankruptcy is probably the next big issue uh, for the Buffalo Diocese. Um, And so when do you think we'll hear more about that, Joe? Do you think it'll be in the beginning of uh, 2020, perhaps the first quarter? Yeah, I mean, Siobhan hinted that the bankruptcy will probably be announced this week or the week after Christmas, because they did say it would be in 2019. Um, But I, I think we're going to see... I'm hoping, and this is very hopeful, that we're going to see more transitions, more of the old leadership um, out of the diocese and new permanent members put in. And let's hope this Bishop Ed does what he said. You know me, Brenda. We've talked about this a few times. My big thing is transparency. Release the results of those investigations and have an outside firm with no ties to the Catholic Church 
do an investigation. Get the truth out there. That is how you restore trust. I think that's the only way to do it because what's the harm in doing that? If you've got nothing to hide, then be transparent. Exactly. So that is what's going on. We will keep you updated here on WBEN. Quick break, then news. And when we come back from news, Brenda and I will talk to diehard Bills fan (laughs) Dave Leventhal about everything going on in D.C. No need to list it because there is a lot to cover. He's with us for the first half hour of the 11 o'clock hour. And then uh, we'll talk to you. And text away. Yes, 30930 is the number. And we look forward to seeing what you have to say for uh, uh, the 11 o'clock hour, what you might want to ask Dave Leventhal, besides Bill's questions, of course. Right. If you have a question you don't think Brenda and I will ask Dave, please, 3930 Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board, always open. It's Hardline, Joe Beamer, Brenda Alacy, back after this. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal. So why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.